This is the Real World DevOps Podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Julian. I'm setting out to meet the most interesting people doing awesome work in the world of DevOps, from the creators of your favorite tools to the organizers of amazing conferences. From the authors of great books to fantastic public speakers, I want to introduce you to the most interesting people I can find. crash reporting, the oft-forgotten-about piece of a solid monitoring strategy. If you struggle to replicate bugs or elusive performance issues you're hearing about from your users, you should check out Raygun. Whether you're responsible for web or mobile applications, Raygun makes it pretty easy to find and diagnose problems in minutes instead of what you usually do, which, if you're anything like me, is ask the nearest person, hey, is the app slow for you? And getting a blank stare back because, hey, this is Starbucks, and who's the weird guy asking questions about mobile app performance? Anyways, Raygun. My personal thanks to them for helping to make this podcast possible. You can check out their free trial today by going to raygun.com. Hi, folks. I'm Mike Julian, your host for the Real World DevOps Podcast. My guest this week is Corey Watson, Technical Director for the Office of the CTO at Signal Effects. He's previously run Observability, Stripe, and Twitter. So, Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, uh, I think it's kind of interesting that you you have gone from running observability teams at pretty interesting places like Stripe and Twitter. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. To so now you're you're working for the enemy. <laughs> you, <laughs> That's uh, a good way to put it. Yeah, like you, you have suddenly gone to the vendor side. Uh, yeah, the, the nicer happens? way that I put it is I say I switched sides of the table. Ah, yes, that is a that is a much better way to put it. Uh, <laughs> apologies to my sponsors for, in, for <laughs> insinuating that they're the enemy. Yeah, uh, it it you're you're completely right. It really is just the other side of the table. That, that implies that it's just a simple change in aspect, though. It's, it's really not. It's actually a pretty fascinating difference, I think. Okay, well, why don't you tell us more about that? Like, what, yeah. is, what is that difference? What is it all about? Well, I, I think in the, in the past, when you work at a place that uses these vendors, you're often sort of trying to make sure you maintain, or at least it's always been my goal to maintain a sort of neutrality or, a, or a, maybe not a shim layer is the right way to put it. But how, how do we sort of retain our independence and make sure that we could switch if necessary and all these other things. It's both good, usually from a technical perspective, but also from a leverage perspective, right? Because you want to be able to, you know, switch if you need to or go to the new cool thing that that might come out. Not that not that we jump and switch that frequently, but, you know, you want to be able to retain that independence. And so now mm-hmm. suddenly I, I'm on the opposite side. Uh, there, I think there's sort of two interesting bits about it. One is like the change in perception or the change in the approach the second is just like the learning experience that I have from watching business being conducted from this side of the table. So I guess we can start on the, the, the difference in, in perspective. So, yeah. so to your earlier question, it's like, all right, here I am previously sitting over here going like, okay, don't tell them anything and pretend like you hate everything that they show you and never, never show your, your, your true colors. And Fantastic then negotiating tactics. <laughs> I mean, for lack of any better training, I think that it's the place that you try to go, you know, but, <laughs> right. but, but at the same time, it's, it's actually somewhat different than I imagined because I, I'm happy to work for a company that largely isn't trying to sell you something for the sake of selling it to you. Like we, we only want 
And I think this is true of, of pretty much all vendors. Like we only want you as a customer if you're ultimately going to be happy, especially mm-hmm. for the duration that many of these sort of engagements, contracts or purchase periods or whatever last. You, you don't just want to like ease in, make a buck and then ease back out again. You've got to stay with it. And so in many ways, I think that my my past experience of sort of wanting to hold everything close to the vest, to use that idiom, um, don't really work that well because you need to give as much information as you can to the vendor so that the vendor can hopefully tailor the solution as, as, as well as possible. Right. But at the same time, I think, I think it all comes down to price though. At the end of the day, I think in that, luckily I don't have to have that conversation. Like I am only here to talk about the pros and cons and, and the approaches of how to do observability and how mm-hmm. uh, signal effects can be helpful for you. But I actually think that in switching sides, I've actually seen how it can actually sort of uh, hinder the process of adoption and understanding. Because if you're like, well, we're not going to tell you how many things we're monitoring or how many metrics there are or what our challenges are, it makes it extremely difficult to articulate a value proposition to the other people. Because suddenly I'm like, well, I don't, if I can't help you size this, I don't know how to have the conversation. And so it's interesting to be on the side where you suddenly lack so much information. Because I've run into that in the Amazon world where people will say, um, oh, we we're spending a ton of money with Amazon, but we don't want to tell them what our future plans are. Mm. Like we don't want to tell them about our product roadmap. Yeah, because like security reasons. What if they leak it? What if they try yeah. to do it themselves? Um, and on some level, like it's AWS, so you know maybe it'll actually happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, as, as we saw last week. Right, but it's there's that whole when you're spending that much money with a company, when a company is such, such a core aspect of how you do business, like for example, a monitoring product. Yeah. Uh, it's no longer a vendor. They're a partner. Yeah. That's, that's and, an excellent way to put it. Um, I love that phrasing because I, I felt that way, even as a customer, I've been a customer of many, of many companies, you know, in, in this context, in the monitoring observability, whatever context system stuff. And, and it's true, like when, once that spin gets to a certain amount or when it's such a critical part of your infrastructure, right? These, are, these, these systems are effectively the highest criticality or, or whatever of your internal systems because if you can't see what's happening, you can't, you can't make changes. You can't run uh, if you can't see. And so it's absolutely yep. right. It needs to be a partnership. And so the more information you can give, the better. Like once everybody gets under a mutual NDA, things I think loosen up a bit and it's easier to right. share. But it's it's also understandable because things like the number of hosts you run and sort of the magnitude that some companies operate are sensitive subjects. And so I think it's mm-hmm. very reasonable to hold it close. But at the same time, uh, the better information you can give, then then the better the solution can be tailored. So yeah, that's that's like sort of one side of of the difference from switching from switching over to being a vendor. Uh, luckily, I think in on the other side of what I've learning, actually, I shouldn't use side because that, that's confusing. But <laughs> the uh, so there's that aspect. But then the learning experience is pretty interesting for me too. Like how sales organizations structure and work through this stuff. I'm not in sales. I've I've always worked in infrastructure at companies, be it for observability things or as an SRE. And so suddenly now I'm faced with learning how they approach it, like recognizing who at the at the at the customer that you're working with, like who's your champion there. Because mm-hmm. just like anything, you, you need a champion, someone who's going to help. Like who's, it, it's, it's not strictly adversarial, but at the same time, the terminology is often like, well, who are the people who are sort of fighting this? And what are their motivations? And who are the people that are championing? What are their motivations? Uh, it's, it's interesting because 
I mean, I've always used LinkedIn mostly as a tool to stay connected with the people I used to work with. But like nowadays, that's like, I don't see this because I don't do it, but the salespeople do. They like know who everybody in the org is because <laughs> LinkedIn is the org chart. And so it's yep. like, well, who do they, who do they uh, answer to? Who's their boss? Who's going to be in this meeting? What are their titles? Who's got the purse strings in this conversation? And yep. it's all stuff that I, I look back and I see, or I remember salespeople asking me these sorts of questions. And I was always like, harumph, why are you bugging me with these questions? Only to realize that they're trying to figure out how to position themselves to best answer the questions that are out there. And also to sort of understand, is this going to be fruitful? Because companies can waste a lot of time you know, if they, if, if they're talking to the wrong people or all this other stuff. And so it's been really fascinating. Some of this was intuitive to me just in working with small companies, but it's just been fascinating to be on this side of, of the table as, as we've been describing it and learn how they approach this problem. Cause I know how to approach systems problems, but these are effectively people problems, which is at least in this context, all new to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, I can come, I can totally echo everything you're saying on that as a consultant myself. I, I do also go through LinkedIn and start mapping org charts. <laughs> uh, definitely been there. And it, what's interesting to me about the sales conversations is once you stop looking at vendor sales as, ad, as uh, adversaries, as someone trying to sell you a thing uh, and where you kind of get this idea of they're trying to sell you a thing, whether you need it or not. Like yeah. they're trying to foist a thing on you or trying to trick you into signing a contract. Right. That's not actually how any of it's going. Yeah. Because most salespeople are not measured just strictly on how much money they bring in, but right. also on retention. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like it's about that year over year over year. And, and mm-hmm. you know, no one wants to sign a contract. No one wants. I often saw companies saying like, oh, we want you to sign these long contracts. And I thought of it in purely sort of dollar magnitude. I never thought of it as the the comfort of that relationship being there. It's it's reasonable right. that when you you sign up with a new company you don't want to immediately get into some 3-year deal or something, but at the same time knowing that that's going to be there helps every side of of the equation. Like I used to think about um the contracts we were signing in raw sort of margin terms. Like well, mm-hmm. I know what it costs to buy a server and put it in a rack and run it, but you don't think about, you know, the engineering uh, organization that's built up to also deal with all the silly stuff I'm asking for, like <laughs> the hundred different oh, features yes. I've got in a list and making sure that those are all getting done and that, right. You know, I'm not the only customer so that it's, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. And I don't know, I feel privileged kind of every day to be able to be able to see it from this side while still leveraging the fact that I, you know, I'm an observability wonk and I do this stuff every day. I still get to leverage sort of my strengths, but also shoring up my weaknesses when it comes to the sales side of the table. So that's, it's been a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Learning the, uh, learning the business side of things, I, I think is it's been the most interesting aspect of my entire career. Uh, basically for me, the past five years, learning how business is done, especially for selling infrastructure services and infrastructure products. Uh, to me, I, I think it's also the most impactful thing I've ever done in my career. Uh, all the knowledge and skills I've gained over an entire career of uh, doing monitoring and observability and infrastructure. Yeah, it's all great. But the things that have really made the most difference for me was learning how the business functions. That's yeah. I, I, I don't think I've thought about it that way until listening to that explanation. And I think if I rewind a little bit, the, the reason I sort of took the job was I felt like I could have more of an effect on our industry 
by helping people sort of connect these dots and and leverage a vendor if it was the right vendor for them to get this job done instead of developing some of this stuff perhaps in house. I mean, not that you shouldn't necessarily do that, but like you know, there's a trade off. And so now, basically, I have shorter conversations leveraging my past experience to your exact point mm-hmm. uh, to help them make this decision. And then hopefully have a significant, like an outsize impact. It's the conversations are almost small compared to sort of the a- impact that they have. Whereas my engineering impact right. is so much, so much more long-term everyday typing and drudgery than, you know, going and spending two hours meeting a customer and having these conversations directly. Yeah, absolutely. As a, when you're working on a vendor side, you, you do have the ability to be a, a much larger multiplier. Uh, when you're working inside of a company, the the effect you have is pretty limited. If you want to affect an entire industry, eh, yeah, it's possible, but it's hard. Yeah, uh, especially if your company is not a vendor. If you are, if you're at a vendor, and that vendor is also sizable and doing interesting things, then you become a multiplier. Yeah, I, I an interesting connection to my past life. Uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Patrick McKenzie, who works at Stripe, uh, goes by Patio Eleven on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Recently, wrote a blog post about why he joined. Stripe. And part of it was, even though he had previously worked in trying to help small companies succeed, it was because working for that vendor in this case gave him an outsized impact on all of those companies. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he, he's probably much more articulate about it than I am, but, uh, it's a, I just read it yesterday and it sort of was like, yeah, man, I believe that that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will, uh, I will find that post and put it in the show notes because I do, I'm a big fan of Patrick. Yeah. He's a, he's a pretty good dude. Um, so on this, on that kind of transitioning a little bit, um, you've had a background running observability teams, and now, and you've also been in IC at various places, uh, but now you're kind of in this weird middle ground where you're not actually sales, you're not running a team anymore, um, but you're not strictly in IC either. So, like, it sounds like you've got a weird role. Yeah, I, I like that you basically defined it by the absence of things instead of the presence of any one thing, because that's sort of what I find <laughs> uh, tough about it. Like I, I think to to pick up on the on the on the thread you've dropped there, having spent now twenty ish, a little over twenty years, mostly doing IC work, occasionally engineering manager, a few VP roles. Like in all those cases, though, there was a fairly direct connection between either infrastructure work or engineering sort of programming output, even as a consultant, right? Like I, I also consulted, although it was more general programming consulting. And there was always this sort of like hands-on time spent with hand-on keyboard making, you know, code pop out the other side was what I was judged on, whether it was myself or the people that I worked, you know, with to as a manager or what have you. But in this role, it's tricky because my, you know, I just said that a lot of my job is to go and have sort of pre-sales conversations. Like I'm not a sales engineer and I'm also not a salesperson. I'm like often brought out as, well, here's Corey Watson, who's, as you said at the beginning of this of this session, has done a bunch of observability work and he's here to effectively just have a friendly conversation with you about what you're doing. And thankfully, I, I don't work at a company that expects me to just shill for them or anything yeah, else, right? right. Like I, I tell them what I think and what the approaches are there. This is rarely a, a thing that you do with just one vendor. There are often a few that sort of overlap or, or, or are mutually beneficial to each other. And so I think the trick though is trying to figure out like, what do I value at the end of the day? Like what makes me 
what releases those endorphins in my brain or, you know, whatever that, that triggers my happiness and excitement and makes me want to get up and come to work every day. The conversation we started with this idea that we're learning much more about the business and having a larger effect is one thing, but that's a long, that's like parenting that takes decades to <laughs> right. pay off. Yeah. Uh, and, is, and is often sort of like unfulfilling in the moment. Uh, yep. I often joke with, with my partner that, uh, that our daughter, like she's not going to repay us for all this work for many years. Like for now, we're just like, nope, just do the kid thing. But the, um, the, the difficulty here is sort of connecting that. So I've, I've been spending a lot of time documenting my work because it often hasn't felt like I accomplished much. I'm making air quotes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I've, I've had to spend a lot of time documenting what I am doing and learning to sort of recalibrate my, my internal measure of what types of accomplishment I've had. Um, you know, how many conversations did I have with customers sometimes months ago that now materialize into someone who's a happy customer or how many conversations did I collect feedback on or how much, uh, insight have I given into product changes that ultimately then land and turn into something like that? I think that's, maybe there's something to, to say here about your, that outsize impact that you were describing, that larger impact that you have also often taking much longer to propagate. Absolutely. Um, you know, the waves, even though they're big, take quite a long time to sort of travel. And that's a big yeah. difference in internal sort of awareness of your own role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you think about, when you think about the vendors that we all look up to like, Oh, well, they've made a really cool product. Uh, look how old they are. Yeah. Uh, the, what we see now was not quick, success looks an awful lot like drudgery, chopped wood, carry water. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> caught me off guard for that one. We may have to edit that laugh down. That was sort of a snorty one. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, success looks an awful lot like just hard work. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. The, the success that you see in your day-to-day -day work is not actually felt for months. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's, you know, that, and, and also it, things that can seem simple, like I, I've been doing observability work now, like since basically as long as observability has been associated with computer stuff in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So since like, I don't know, 2000 something, 13 ish, something like that. And the, the now when I have conversations with some of our customers, some of that is, is rediscussing things that I have. A lot of it's rediscussing my past experiences, some of the decisions I made as a right. customer. And, and that often doesn't feel, I feel like I'm just telling them something I already knew and I don't feel like that's valuable. I, I often feel like, you know, for example, in this conversation, am I giving you new insights or just saying <laughs> something someone else already said on medium a hundred times? Right. And, and that the point is not to make it sound like it doesn't have value, just that it, it, you don't often see the impact until much later. And when you realize that that customer made some internal cultural change, like I was just discussing with someone last week, how to help them make observability more fundamental to their day-to-day -day attributes. And I asked them sort of like, what carrots are you providing to this, to your team? Like, it's easy to have sticks and say like, we're going to whack you on the hand if you don't measure, but like, are your deployment processes connected to your observability data so that you can say like, if you do it right, you get these cool features as a side effect. Like how much of that is really happening in your org? And that's a conversation I've had many times, but mm -hmm. sometimes for a customer that's, that's brand new. And even if it is new, the other person that you're speaking with often brings a whole new perspective and some really exciting right. new ways of thinking about the problem. Yep. And, you know, I don't know. I it's, it's every customer conversation is special and awesome in its own way. 
And in some cases we find out later they had a big, big impact and, you know, in other cases they, they buy something else, but that's okay too, because we've all gotten better as, as part of the process. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the, something you said there, it reminds me of one of the ways a vendor really helps is that there are often conversations happening internally that when someone external comes in and says the exact same thing, uh, it lends more credibility to it uh, because now it's not just internal. It's now someone third party that has no vested interest is now saying the same thing. So new initiatives that internal people want to do will often find traction as a result of a vendor coming in and saying it. (laughs) So much so that I've had active conversations with vendors when I was a customer, uh, because I mean, clearly like some of the companies that I've worked for, uh, the name of the company meant something. And then Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm something of a personality sometimes. And so the combination of that weight, it it was not uncommon for vendors to basically call me and want me to break a tie. Uh, (laughs) and not me as in Corey, but me as in Corey plus maybe the job I'm doing, et cetera, et cetera, because it really does, because it's very easy uh, the problem with with sort of eating your own dog food, to use the industry metaphor for using your own stuff, is that eventually it all sort of tastes the same. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can't tell, like, do I need some cumin on this or not? Like, do I need more salt? I don't know. It's dog food to me. And so and that, it's funny because that's also sort of my role internally is I don't like I don't I work in the office of the CTO, which kind of means I'm not I don't participate directly in day to day engineering. I do some R&D function. I do a lot of sort of customer feedback stuff because I, I talk to a lot of customers, but I also am sort of a neutral party when it comes to this stuff. Like I don't work on the back end, so I'm not defensive about it. If you, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and there's something you don't like about signal effects, Hey, I probably don't like that either. I'm helping <laughs> them understand like what we could do to improve it and, you know, and, and helping to sort of break those ties and also to shape where we're going and what we're doing. And so, uh, you know, in addition to the customer side, to the, to the feedback side, to the sales side, there's also just the rank and file every day. Like what more cool stuff could we be doing? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so on the topic of, uh, of you being a character and you talking to customers, I imagine there's a lot of stuff that's, uh, let me rephrase that. What do you see the future of observability holding? <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about with your customers? What are you thinking about? What are you working on? Yeah. Well, so there's, I think there's two pieces to this. When I started at SignalFX, I tweeted out one day like, Hey, I've, I've started doing work now. If you've got questions, thoughts, ideas, let me know. And, uh, John Allspaw, who many listeners may be familiar with, but if you're not, he used to be the CTO at Etsy now runs a company called, uh, adaptive capacity labs. And he, he talks a lot, especially lately about sort of like incident stuff. Like how do people function in these systems when there is failure? And he tweeted back to me, which first off was like, holy crap, that's so cool. I've, I've loved his work. How do you even know who I am? And he says, like, tell me what your tool does that helps us. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't just aimed at me or aimed at signal effects. It was aimed at the industry. Right. And so a lot of what I've been discussing internally is, okay, we see, you know, you've instrumented your stuff. Uh, you know, you've, you've got these chart, you've got these artifacts, charts, dashboards, you know, mechanism tracing all these mechanisms for, for looking into the problem. But what are we doing to help you with that? Uh, what are we doing to sort of provide you with that information? I think I don't want to overfit for the problem of the person who got paged because these platforms often do a lot of other stuff as well, right? Right. But 
what are we doing for the person that got paged? It's like a good line of work too. Yeah, I think as an industry, it's, I sort of feel like all the tools that we operate, we sort of lost the person on call being the person giving the feedback about the tool. I feel like there's a lot mm-hmm. of improvement in all the vendors tools that I've used for like, in fact, there's even, there's even like a rich third party uh, ecosystem of tools that basically intercept your alerts to help you provide context or deduplication. Um, uh, is that deduplication? I don't you hate it when you say a word so many times you don't even know if it's real. I think that's a word. Um, the, there's so much more we could do in, in that space. Like what is just the simple usability of it? Like I, I remember I did a short stint as a, as a sort of product manager and training at Twitter. And one of the things that I learned from someone who was training me was sometimes a feature can be implemented really cheaply and simply just to prove its efficacy. Right. And so like, I don't think I've seen a single monitoring tool that when it notifies you has like a button that's like, Hey computer, this is not helpful. Please stop doing this. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to actually take action, but it should record that sentiment because that's really important. That's a fantastic idea. Well, it, and you know, you can implement it pretty cheaply, just like log the thing, like take it to a a web server and log that HTTP endpoint and then just go back and scrape it together later. And then, you know, feed that information back to the folks who do your DevOps tooling or maybe your manager. This is something that I often think we provide very poor tools for engineering managers mm-hmm. to look at the health of their on-call rotations that they're responsible for and, and to help guide people. Because it's very easy when you're on call to get caught up in like, you know, these things just go off all the time and I can't make it any better. And we rarely leave time. One of the things I, I used to push uh, on my team at Stripe that we, I think we're pretty good at is if you're on call, part of your responsibility is to leave it in better, assuming that you have time, leave it in a better place than it was when you got there. Like if you're seeing alerts that are bothering you, allocate time as part of your on call rotation to go and re- retune those, you know, like if it's a threshold, if it's a static threshold that you need to change, do that. If the run book's slightly out of date, make sure you schedule time for that or make tickets for other people. You don't necessarily have to take on all that work yourself, but right. record it because engineering managers are never going to be able to help you allocate time for it if it's an undefined quantity. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so that's something that I'm thinking a lot about. Uh, today, specifically, I've been digging in a lot on accessibility of the tools that we operate. Like uh, when, when people say accessibility, we often think of people who have some sort of either permanent or temporary uh, disability, you know, like maybe they mm-hmm. have an injury and lost use of an arm or uh, you know, you're having a sling or something, or maybe they're, they're, they're blind or, but we yeah, also, but there's, there's a lot of those uh, so-called invisible disabilities. Yeah. Well, uh, 8% of Northeastern European, of those of Northeastern European descent have red, green colorblindness. And what is the thing we all use <laughs> in all of our charts to denote good and badness? It's red and green. And these are the colors yeah. that, that, you know, uh, that those people are most likely to not be able to see. And you've lost that entire channel of communication with those people. So today uh, for, for something I'm working on about dashboard design, I'm looking into accessibility. So like, how about screen readers? Like, what are we doing? Like, think about our charting elements, like our screen readers capable of deciphering those. Um, there's also a lot of stuff that's not even that technically complex. Like what is your, what are your titles of your charts? Um, I don't have it handy, but something I ran into earlier was some study done about, or some, some research. I don't know if it was a study, but there was some research where someone said, basically, no one knows what charts are except what the title says. 
Uh, and it's and it's often been one of my yeah. favorite parts of observability tools where someone goes, well, what's in that chart? Well, it's, you know, so-and-so number of seconds that this happened. And they're like, yeah, but where? And you just have to go look in the code yep. and find that measurement and go, okay, that's what that means. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> well, and, and, and I think that we do ourselves a disservice by not sort of gratuitously labeling. Right, I agree. Do. So x-axis labels, y-axis labels, uh, the titles of the charts, the units that are placed therein, like yep. taking the time to basically wean yourself off of using jargon and uh, just the assumption that the other person knows what these things mean. Um, One of the things that has completely changed my views and perspective and really leveled up my own skills uh, on in the aspect of visualization was reading uh, Stephen Few's book on information dashboard design. And it's this, it's this massive um, full color, like really amazing print quality book uh, originally published with O'Reilly. He's got a second edition out. It's also fantastic. And also he's written like just tons and tons of other books. Uh, and the entire thing is this is how you should be building dashboards. This is what visualizations should look like. Uh, and a whole bunch of examples of visualizations done poorly and explained why they're not working. And one of the, one of my favorite things is, he lays out really clear reasons why a pie chart is like the worst chart ever created. Oh yeah. 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 I've, I've also been, uh, I mean that, that sounds really interesting. And I just put it on my list to pick up, uh, some of the work that probably he even research is what I've been reading lately. So a lot of old, uh, probably, uh, yeah, Tufty. So yeah. he's a, he was a student of Tufty. Ah, great. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that pie chart example, like this is one people love to harp on, but like our ability to understand the amount of area contained, in a pie wedge, yep. it's pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, it works for large differences, but for small differences, less so. One uh, one of the th- one of the visualization types that I really wish more monitoring tools used. Um, a few talks about this as well. Is is you know it, tables are actually a very valid visualization, uh, but we don't think about a table as a visualization. But in a lot of cases, that's the most effective and easiest way to understand that information. Yeah. Uh, We also underutilize in in that same perspective, like we also underutilize, I think, bar charts, which if you look at our ability to process quantitative information, like length of a bar, that's why bar charts are often cited as being superior to a pie chart because our ability to understand length is so much better. Basically anything that you would reach for a pie chart for, it should probably be a bar chart. (laughs) Yeah. But but then that lends itself also to the tabular form because putting, uh, you know, a table puts all the information sort of on those X, Y axes. Cause it's basically, it's basically a chart without graphics. It's just a chart with, with numbers in its place. And one of the things that's even suggested for accessibility purposes is to put the label for the data as close to the visualization as possible. So if you've got a line yeah. chart, put it at the tip uh, for lack of a better word, like the right hand side right. of the line. Um, my, my favorite, I think thing I've learned about that. And then I'll switch topics was um, that we, we build what are called run charts. So the generic form of a chart that shows time on the bottom uh, or on the uh, X axis is a run chart. Like it's mm-hmm. a special form of a line chart. And my favorite thing that I read about it was going back to my, my Tufty books, which I have tucked away and haven't looked at in forever, but I pulled them back out for this research was that, you know, we, we rely on these charts yet time changing is very rarely the causal part of Mm, what's happening. Like, so we, we have, we have this entire sort of visualization technique built out of showing things change over time. And yes, 
time is changing and that's very important to us, but rarely do we put as much thought into providing what is the context inside our organization or in our systems that are actually affecting that change? Like how many of those hints are we providing to people, which is sort of like the teaser for what I'm going to try to talk about a lot, which is how do we do a better job of instrumenting the things that are currently not instrumented and actually being able to, I, I don't think causalate is a word, but like <laughs> we correlate things often, but sure. correlation is not causality as we all right. know. And causalating things is much more difficult. So yeah, uh, you anyway, and I, that's, you and I have talked about that, talked about this previously. Um, uh, it, totally not on the show where there are plenty, there's plenty of stuff out there that seems hard to measure or impossible to measure, but is actually the stuff we care about the most. It's like uh, one of my favorite examples is measuring customer happiness. So if you have a service level indicator that has to be mapped to customer happiness, otherwise how do you know that it's going to be valid? Well, now I have a new problem. How do I measure customer happiness? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we, and we get lazy and we just kind of like don't measure that stuff. And we say, oh, right. you just can't measure that. But, but that's not true. Out, yeah, it turns out there's actually some techniques for that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of really interesting techniques. Uh, unfortunately, like we could talk for hours about that topic alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so perhaps I'll have to have you back again sometime soon and we can dig into that one. Yeah, the only other the only other thing I'm poking at in this, in this realm is uh, control theory, which is sort of the roots of classical observability, not necessarily yeah. what we're thinking about in computers is something I've sort of doubled down on recently. I have okay. some, I have some, uh, uh, we do some, it's pretty common to like when you're demonstrating or when vendors show you this stuff, like here's a chart, here's it behaving badly. And here's some effect that we're having on the system. But like if you move forward into a more automated world, like most modern large scale industrial things are automated to the point that things like control theory are what govern them. And mm -hmm. I'm very interested in why we still so heavily rely on intuition and people to do a lot of the sort of operational work that's on the ops side of the DevOps equation. Like yep. how much of that could be improved if our systems were more drum roll controllable. So observability is like how measurable something is and whether or not the state of uh, its internals can be inferred by sort of summing together its outputs. Right. But what we don't have are systems that are easily controllable. Like how many of our systems have direct APIs for influencing those knobs and levers that govern their operation. Mm, and yeah. I, that's something I'm really interested in because as we increase the surface area of our applications that be, can be controlled. And if you sort of imagine them as a three dimensional space of like good configuration and bad configuration, how much can we automate a lot of that stuff and make it? Cause there are people out here doing a lot of stuff in terms of like real, real math and science on, systems being safe like we little's law is a very commonly cited one mm -hmm. for queuing um the universal scalability law and a lot of other performance minded ideas that can actually be applied to the things that we're doing but our systems very rarely allow us to manipulate them <laughs> in that way instead yeah. someone's got to go edit a yaml file save it upload yeah. it stop it start it redeploy it blue green it like how much could we be doing if these things were a little more automated and i think that's something that it's sort of like solves that dirty secret that observability has, which it tells you something's wrong, but not necessarily what it is. And, and so that's some, that's probably the third thing I'm, I'm poking at a lot these days. Mm. All that's fantastic stuff. Uh, I, I would, I'm hoping that you're going to be writing a bunch of blog posts and giving talks about all this. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely something that's in my, well, I don't have a contract, but that's, that's something <laughs> that's in my proverbial contract is that I'm supposed to be writing about a lot of this stuff. So in between, you know, uh, talking with customers and assembling some of this, I think over the next year or so, you'll see 
a lot more of that come out, but uh, yeah. I am definitely currently working on how to make better dashboards, which um, is inspired by a lot of the stuff we're talking about here. And I'm going to yep. totally check out the book that you mentioned earlier. So Awesome. Well, uh, where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, well, you can find out more about me either on my personal website, which is uh, onemogin.com. So O-N-E-M-O-G-I-N. That's a Southernism for do it one more time if you haven't heard mm-hmm. it before. Uh, and then uh, you can also find me on Twitter at GFAT, G-P-H-A-T, uh, both of those places. And um, I do a pretty good job about babbling about both of them. Uh, usually, though, Twitter's probably the right place. If you can deal with all my retweeted, hilarious, weird Twitter jokes. Mm, yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, and to all the listeners, thank you for listening to the Real World DevOps podcast. If you want to stay up to date on the latest episodes, you can find us at realworlddevops.com and on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. I'll see you in the next episode. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.